the season of fall began this week, and, and what does that mean to you? Cooler temperatures? They seem to have arrived. Does it mean you get to taste that pumpkin spice latte that you've missed for a few months? If that's what it means for you, I'll pray for you later. <laughs> Does it mean tailgate parties? Oh, I know, tailgate parties have already begun. We're well into the new football season. But tailgate parties just don't seem right when it's hot and, and humid. A tailgate party should be on a cool, cloudy day with just a bit of an extra chill in the air as you get ready for the game or for whatever's coming, coming next. In my house, the season of fall means it's time to finalize our plans for Christmas. <laughs> my wife, Julie, should have been named Carol, as in Christmas Carol. She loves Christmas. She loves planning Christmas. And really, we actually started in the month of, of August to get ready for the season that comes in, in December. And she loves to have it completely done, wrapped up, figured out what we're going to do, where we're going to go, who's coming over, what parties we're gonna, going to host, and what's going to happen at, on Christmas Day itself by the beginning of fall. And I, this is not preacher hyperbole. We literally had four conversations like that this week. We're ready to go. We're buying the tickets for our kids. We've got everything all put, to, put together. I thought of that at the same time that I encountered this, this text. While Julie and I were talking about Christmas and our plans, what we're going to do, I read through this text in preparation for the sermon. This text about this rich young man who comes to Jesus apparently seeking eternal life, seeking maybe even more than that. We'll get to that in a moment. But looking at that text and thinking of that story and then thinking about all the Christmas plans we put together reminded me of the time that I met Santa. I really met Santa. Came to the 11 o'clock service. Afterwards, he shook my hand at the door and I said, would you like to join me for a cup of coffee? He said, sure. So we went over to the coffee bar and no pumpkin spice latte for Santa. He drinks it black. <clears throat> I said, well, how's your day going? He said, going very well. I'm a little tired. Yesterday I was at the mall. I was there at 9 o'clock in the morning. I didn't leave until 9.15 in the evening. It was quite a long day. But I got to tell you, my last child, the last child to visit me was a fascinating story. Tell me, please, more, Santa. He said she was about nine years old, maybe. Her hair was just perfect. Her clothes were just so. She looked like she was a model for the Nordstrom Children's Catalog. Everything perfectly in place. Just amazing. But I noticed as she sat on my lap that there were tears in her eyes. So as she sat down, I said, don't be afraid. I assumed, he told me, that she was afraid. I said, don't be afraid, just tell me what you want for Christmas. And the little girl began to speak, but her, her voice caught in her throat. And at this point, the tears began to spill down her cheeks. And again, Santa said, it's really okay, no need to be afraid, just tell me what you want. She took a deep breath, and then she said, but Santa, you don't understand. I already have everything. I have everything. And that means I'm going to miss Christmas. That little girl may not know it consciously in that moment, but I believe that was her spirit moving towards something more than what she might get on Christmas Day. I believe she's moving towards in a direction that will help her realize someday, maybe sooner than most of us, that Christmas isn't something you can buy online. It's not something you can find at the mall. It's not something that, that can be forced upon you. Christmas is a gift much more amazing and beautiful. She's experiencing what Henry Nouwen calls 
the Vicare Deo, looking for space for God, the call to make room in our spirits and souls for the divine, the Vicare Deo. In the same way, I believe this rich young man is experiencing something like it. He may be an ancient relative of that young girl who met with Santa that day. He's experiencing something similar to it. He comes to Jesus with this kind of unusual, ambiguous question. It would have been ambiguous in his day, saying, well, what good deed do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life in Jesus' day could mean a variety of things. It could mean, how do I get to heaven? It could mean, what are the requirements for heaven? It could mean, how do I move from a, a physical understanding of myself to a more spiritual one? Or it may simply mean, what will my legacy be? What memories will people carry on about me when my life is over? All of those things may be there. We're not sure. But what happens is a fascinating conversation. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Finally, Jesus gets to the point where he says, keep the commandments. And the man, the young man, replies, which ones? And Jesus names the ones that he thinks are most important. They're the ones related to relationships. He also throws in the one, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And you can almost kind of imagine Jesus does that and thinks that'll keep him busy for a while working on those and maybe even starting to walk away when the man says, I've kept them. I've done that. And Jesus, I... I, I hear his, and when I read this story, I hear Jesus with a startle in his voice. Really? You've kept the commandments? Well, I've finally met someone who has. Have you, have you ever met somebody like that who thinks they're morally righteous and above everybody else, the rest of us? If you have, don't invite them to your party. They're no fun at the party. Tr- trust me on this. So Jesus stops and says, okay, fine. You've kept them, great. Then do this. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, receive your reward, and follow me. The storyteller tells us that the man left grieving. Like that little girl with Santa, I imagine there are tears in his eyes. I can see them rolling down his cheeks as he lowers his head and walks away, filled with sorrow, for he had everything. I think the man, as I said, I think he's looking ultimately for space for the divine. He's just confused about how to find it. I think he gets stuck. And you notice there's five verbs there? Go, sell, give, receive, and then follow. He's invited by Jesus to follow him on an amazing journey, on a a wonderful journey to change the world, to bring peace, hope, and joy into the lives of so many who are struggling and suffering around the world, a journey that we're invited to continue on even on this day. But the man is stuck on the third verb, go, sell, give. He can't imagine releasing his possessions. He can't imagine letting go of all that he's done to get to that point in his life. He's stuck on give. He He just can't possibly let go of all that stuff, no matter how amazing the journey might be. How many of you have ever played the game, go ahead and raise your hand, Monopoly? How many of you ever played it? Have you played it before? What's the point of Monopoly? To completely annihilate your opponents. 
<laughs> you want them bankrupt. You want to take their property, everything they own. You want to put your own, develop your own uh, hotels and houses and all the rest. Raise your rents and get as much of their money as you possibly can. And when you've bankrupted them all, you are now the master of the board. Way to go. And then what happens? It all goes back in the box. The property, the pieces, the hotels, the houses, the money, it all goes back in the box. John Ortberg, a good pastor, reminds us the same thing happens to us at the end of our lives. It goes back in the box. And the question then becomes, how do we live our lives? Do we want to be ruthless and, and demanding and controlling and trying to get as much as we possibly can? Or do we find ourselves discovering the courage that we need to let go? To release those things that are holding us down. It may or may not be possessions. It may be money. It may be something else. Can we find the strength we need to let go in order to follow in the way of life that is filled with adventure and newness, change? I remember leading a, a, the first mission trip of several mission trips to South Africa uh, a number of years ago. We were there for 16 days. I think there were 15 of us on the trip. And by the time we got to the 13th day, we were pretty frustrated. It was an exploratory trip. We had gone to meet with several pastors and leaders in the United Church of Southern Africa. Uh, the United Church of Southern Africa is a cousin of the United Church of Christ, one of our affiliate denominations. We met with these pastors and various church leaders and neighborhood folks all around uh, South Africa, a beautiful country, amazing people. But we were frustrated because we couldn't quite find the project that lined up with the gifts we thought we were bringing. And so we had a, we had a check-in. After dinner that night, on the 13th day, we had a check-in with each other, put our chairs in a circle, and just asked, what's going on? What are we experiencing? The conversation got heated. There was a little bit of anger expressed, frustration for sure. And then our missionary, a woman named Dawn, the Reverend Dawn Barnes, she invited us to take a breath and consider this. She said, the problem with us Americans is that we come with our arms and hands so full of so much stuff, and not just possessions, but other stuff, that we're unable to receive the gifts that are all around us, that are here all over this beautiful land. What is it we need to let go of, she asked. Are there things that we need to let go of? Is there something you need to let go? We were quiet for a few moments. And then someone said, I've been trying to control everything about this trip. I've got to let go. Another said, I've been filled with fear. Our homestays, we stayed with locals everywhere we went, have been frightening and anxiety producing for me, overwhelming. I, I've got to let go of that. Someone else said, you know, I, I feel like I gotta have, I've got a lot of power back home and I want to use that power here and it doesn't fit here and I, I've got to let go. What about us this morning? What, what might you let go in order to find the life that you're dreaming of receiving? What do you need to release 
what, what is it that you know in your heart you want, but you're all afraid, and you just can't let that fear go? Think of the most important relationship in your life. Is that love being blocked by your fear, your worry, your anxiety, your constant busyness to get more and more and more of what you already have and don't need? What, what's, what is it on this day that maybe even the Spirit of God is inviting you to go and sell, give, so that you might receive and follow. A few years ago, some friends of mine, not members of our church, called and asked if I could be their pastor for a day. They don't attend a church anywhere. They're, they're people of faith, but they've not found their way to a, to a church. I said, sure, come on by. I'd be happy to talk to you. And they sat down, and after some small talk, I said, well, what's brought you to uh, this place on this day? The woman spoke first, the wife. She said, our, our relationship is dry. It's dead. It feels like it's going nowhere. As she spoke, the man, her husband, silently nodded his head in agreement. She said, I, I, I care for him. I, I believe he cares for me, but we're so caught up in doing so much and doing everything we possibly can in our careers, in our lives, with our children, everything else. It's as though I have nothing left at the end of the day. Now, now I want you to know, if you'd seen this couple, they're about my age, you would have thought to yourself, they're living the American dream. Handsome, beautiful, amazing success in both of their careers. They've, they've reached the top of everything they've, they've wanted in life, and yet here they are in my office. There's nothing left. They're quiet for a moment, and then she says to me, is this all there is? You work, you work, you work, you work, you strive, you strive, you strive, you gain, you gain, you gain, you get, you get, you get, and at the end of the day, and she didn't use this phrase, but at the end of the day, it just goes back in the box. Is this all there is? What do we need to let go? Now, this sermon series is, is based on the topic of money, and sometimes money and the control of it is something that we need to let go, and it's also a metaphor and a symbol for other things that we may need to release and leave behind. Now, listen, let's, let's put a quote up here from Lynn Twist. She wrote The Soul of Money, a, a brilliant thinker. When you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need, it frees up oceans of energy to make a difference with what you have. I love that phrase, oceans of energy to make a difference with what you have. Have you ever tried to stop the ocean? Have you ever waded out into it and, and hoped somehow by your hands or your, your, your feet you could stop the ocean? Of course not, you can't. It just keeps coming and coming and coming at us. What would happen if we could let go and release those things, power, control, whatever else it might be, and, and leave them behind? How much energy would be freed in your life? I don't care if you're 9 or 99. Think of what we could do with that freedom. But sometimes it's just not easy. My favorite professor in seminary was Dr. Fred Norris. He died a few months ago, and I've been thinking about him a lot since, since his death, and stories have come back to me. I remember three days before I graduated from seminary with a Master of Divinity degree, uh, making an appointment to go see Dr. Norris to thank him for all the work that he'd done with me as one of my prep professors. 
I went into his office and sat down. I, I said, Dr. Norris, I, I got to tell you, you're, you're just amazing. He really was. He was brilliant, funny. I mean, a rare combination of brilliant and funny, great personality, could, could tell stories, could make you laugh. He had an affectious laugh that you could hear three blocks away. I just said, Dr. Norris, I, I got to tell you, you've made such a difference in my life. You've challenged me, you've motivated me, pushed me, and I, I want you to know that if I change just one person's life in the way you've changed mine for the good, I'll consider my ministry a success. And then he said, are you serious? Really? One person? You just spent tens of thousands of dollars on tuition and three years of life in this school and you're gonna go help one person? That's your goal? What's, what's wrong with you, Miles? And then he said, I was kind of hurt. <laughs> I was just trying to be nice. Just let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? Failure or success? What are you afraid of? Why is fear holding you back? What you need to do is let go of your fear and let God create in you the pastor you've been called to be. I'll see you at graduation. What would happen if we could let go of those things? What would happen if we would simply become the person, the amazing person, the wonderful person that God has created you to be? What would happen if we could release those oceans of energy into our hearts, minds, and souls? Some of it is seeing how much we already have. Do you ever pray with your money? There's a Presbyterian pastor, Jeff Vamos, who invited his congregation to pray with their money. Not pray over your money, not pray about your money, not pray asking for more money, but to pray with your money by, spending on it, by giving your money away or spending your money in a way that is prayerful. And he told this story to illustrate the point. It's about 40 years ago. Pastor Tony Campolo, a great old Baptist preacher, was invited by a small church to come over and help them raise some money uh, for a free medical clinic that they were sponsoring. They wanted to raise $5,000. This was 40 years ago when that was a lot more money than it's worth today. And so Tony was brought in to be, to be the guest speaker. Well, after the sermon had been given, the pastor got up and was ready to give the invitation to giving to receive uh, their offerings for the free medical clinic. And he just kind of spontaneously looked over at Pastor Tony and said, well, Tony, why don't you come and offer a prayer of blessing on our offering? And Tony said, no, I'm not going to pray for your offering. First, I'm going to pray with my money. And he came out to the center. There was a, a, a offering plate on the, on the table, on the communion table, opened up his, his wallet, pulled out everything in his wallet, and placed it in the offering plate. He said, I'm going to give right now, I'm going to give every dollar that I have in my wallet. This was back in the days when people had cash in their wallets and purses. You remember that, of course. I'm going to give every bit of money that I have for this cause, and I'm going to challenge every person in this room to do the same. Well, these were good Presbyterian folks. They don't get out of order like that. There was sort of a stunned silence until someone on the front row got up, grabbed her purse, came down to the offering plate, reached in, took her wallet out, and took every bill she had and placed it there. And pretty soon, the entire congregation came and prayed with their money. And $8,000 was collected by this little church to support this free medical clinic for low-income folks. What would happen if we could release and let go? What would happen in your life, in your home, 
What would happen in our church, in our mission, in our ministry, if we could let go of all those things that hold us back, that block, pull us down in this moment as Jesus invites us to go, sell, give, receive, and follow. Let us give our whole selves to the joy of this amazing journey. Amen.